0: Hi, this is Liz Tinkham, and welcome to Third Act, a podcast about people embracing the third act of their lives with a new sense of purpose and direction. The third act begins when your script ends, but your show's just not finished. Today, I talk with Andre Hughes, the kingmaker. Andre is the founder and servant of Powered by Action, a not-for-profit that provides innovative software solutions to other nonprofits to help them extend their reach and virtually connect all of their constituents. Andre's third act sparked when he was in Kenya on a trip to the Kibera slum while serving as the head of Accenture's foundation. I first met Andre years and years ago. During his second act, we had a long and distinguished career at Accenture, serving many clients in the communications, media, and high-tech industries. Andre's also served on numerous public and not-for-profit boards and is a proud graduate of Purdue University. So Andre, welcome to third act.
1: It's it's good to be here. I I was just going to ask you, Liz, how many acts do we get?
0: <laughs> well, I think with you, we'll be coming back when I'm doing like six act. But so anyway, so I, I just want to tell everybody who's listening that. So I've known you for a while, right? So I didn't get to the second paragraph in your bio. Talk about your days as a Zumba instructor while you're working at Accenture. So you're a very accomplished guy and a great friend. So I'm really happy to have you on the show today.
1: It's good to be here, and I'm not going to break out any of my aerobics, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm happy to be here. Great, happy to be here.
0: so fellow big tenor that you are, uh, which is another reason I love you. So your first act was at Purdue. So boiler up. How did how did you decide to go there, and and what did you intend to do with that degree?
1: So Liz, the you know in life, as you know. It's hard to kind of plan things out. And I wasn't I I had no idea what Purdue University was. Were you were you and from Indiana or Illinois? No, I'm from I'm from Chicago. That's what I thought. I'm yeah, from, okay. I'm from the south side of Chicago in a place called Inglewood, but I had this opportunity to go to what's called a magnet school. It's a college prep school. You test to get into it. At that time, there weren't that many in Chicago, but one that existed on the south side of Chicago was Lindblom Tech, and it's it's still around today. It's a very empowering school, and and for those of us that are first generation college people, it was really the path for me and my family to get to that milestone of college. Okay, and, and so I had this. This incredible counselor, Doctor Wright, was his name, and I was good in math and science, and, and as as is a lot of people. And he called me in his office. He said, "said Listen, I got two opportunities for you, and I'm going to send you to both. One is the Air Force Academy, oh, and we've got cool. these congressional nominations for you, and and uh, you're going to have the opportunity to go and spend a week there and decide if you want to go there." And he said, "The second opportunity is an opportunity at Purdue in their minor- minority engineering program." And they bring minority students into Purdue, you stay on campus for about a week, and uh it changed my life. I didn't know what an engineer was. Right. And it what was clear was that this college high school counselor, house Dr. Wright, the high school counselor, he said, Andre, this is your ticket to opportunity. And that's that's how it happened. I went, fell in love with both, and uh, fell in love more with Purdue.
0: Oh, that's so cool! Okay, so similar. In '78 or '79, I got invited to a women in engineering camp at Northern Michigan University, which is up in the or North, Michigan Tech. I forget the name of it up in the Upper Peninsula, and it was like one of the first times I'd ever flown on an airplane. And uh, it, was, it was really interesting, right? Because, again, I had no idea what an engineer was, and it was all girls who were there. And I got out of there, and I thought, this is my jam. This is what I want to do. So uh, it's nice to know that there were opportunities for both of us back then. So you get to Purdue and end up with a degree in mechanical engineering. Is that correct? Industrial engineering. Yeah. And what are you going to do with that?
1: And I thought, boy it would be really cool to help companies optimize their operations. And I was pretty jazzed about that. I I loved business and I love finance and I love marketing. And so some people would even say I was probably more of a business person than I was an engineer. So industrial engineering was the perfect fit for me Mm -hmm. and optimizing workflows and things like that. I thought, boy, this is a way to create some real results and some real value. And so we double clicked on that degree.
0: So how do you end up at what was then Arthur Anderson's management information consulting division?
1: So this is a a longer story, but I'm going to make it real short. Okay. Um, there was, there was this much like Dr. Wright at Limblow in high school there was this dean by the name of Dr Cornell Bell and Dr Cornell Bell was this exceptional larger than life human being in my life and Dr Bell was over in the school of management and somehow we met and really connected and um, built an incredible relationship and and he became you know, the next big non-family member to provide counsel, mentorship, sponsorship, big word uh, for me. And so he introduced me to this vice president at AT&T, and I'll never forget how he did it. He called me to his office and he said, you know, make sure you're here on time. And he called this vice president from AT&T to meet with the two of us. And and sitting there after the the pleasantries, he just said, "Roscoe, Andre is the person that you're going to hire." Oh I mean, God. he was a he was a king maker. Doctor Cornell Bell was a king maker. And he's and Roscoe says, "Well, Doctor Bell, we don't normally take bachelor's degreed individuals into our management development program at AT and T. We we want you to have an MBA." And he says, this guy is the guy. And he consummated that employment opportunity for me at that moment in that room. So I ended up going to AT&T, was there for about four years. Okay. And then on to MCI. Okay. And then I'm getting my MBA from Booth, University of Chicago Booth. Right. And I meet a partner at Arthur Anderson. Who, who says we're starting a network consulting telecommunications business and we don't have anybody that understands it.
0: <laughs> that would have been the <laughs> understatement.
1: <laughs> and so that's how it started, Liz. I interviewed with, with them and we fell in love with each other. And, uh, therein lies the, my start in the management consulting division of Arthur Anderson.
0: Yeah, which then becomes the Anderson consulting and then on to Accenture. So, Oh, that's great. That's so cool, though, that the professor basically it was a, prof, a professor slash advisor kind of really the sponsorship word is a good one to say you're going to make this guy an employee because that's going to work out I, well for both of you.
1: Yeah, I trust him. I know him. I trust you and I know you and you, you both know and trust me. There was this this other partner that you might remember, Michaeli Liberato.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I remember him.
1: He, he ran Italy for Accenture. And McKaylee would often have me fly into Rome or Milan. And he would sit me down with Telecom Italia and one of their senior executives. And McKaylee would do the exact same thing that Dr. Bell did. And just two phenomenal individuals that you, you just can't underestimate the power of relationships and how those relationships when leveraged on your behalf you know will change you know dimensions of all of your next steps.
0: I think the lesson as well that I know you're phenomenal at is now that we both and many of our listeners are in positions to be the kingmaker make the kings right or the queens That's and right. I I know you're a big stewardship person I am too and to the extent that I, I have literally told people, "This is the person for you. Take it. Trust me. This is all going to work out." And uh, that's—it's really nice to see people early on in careers doing that for people, and we need to keep doing it. You were one of the first to lead a big functional practice within all of our industry groups, and that's—I think—that's where I came to know you. We did a couple projects together, which was fun. So I have a just a funny story to share about you, but because it's going to be related to where I'm headed with this whole podcast, which is I had a meeting with one of my clients that I invited you to. It was a network discussion of some sort. And I had it because I'm so type A. I had it completely scripted. I'm sure I had name tags on everybody's (laughs) seats. You know, I had it planned down to the minute. Kathleen O'Reilly was with me, if you remember her. I do. Coming in the middle and you were just going to say a few words. And and you don't say just a few words. You say like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes worth of words. And I'm dying in the back because you're throwing my whole meeting off like by the minute. (laughs) And I have to step out. I'm so pissed off at you. And Loam and Kathleen comes out to kind of comfort me. And she's like, what's going on? We're way off plan. And I go back in and the entire audience is in rapture of your words. Right. they're like, all, I, I called it the Piper meeting. And I learned a valuable message, a valuable, you know, learning from that whole thing, which was you had them, you know, you painted a vision that, that my meeting wasn't painting. I mean, I think I had the mechanics, but you came in and really laid out the vision and the meeting changed after that and it was fine. Right. And you've always been a great one to be able to do that, but you were, you were just so inspiring to that group. And it was something that I kind of needed to learn at that point in my career, and uh, you got me to do it, even though I was really pissed off at you at the moment.
1: I'm glad that turned out.
0: <laughs> it totally did. It totally did. <laughs> Kathleen and I scratched our heads later, like we got to learn what's he drink every morning for breakfast. Like, <laughs> oh my I mean, god, where does he get it? Like that charisma. Okay. Anyway, so superstar, you are your career advances. You run several P&Ls. Then the head of, I think it's a U.S. practice, right? Steve Rollator asked you to take on the human capital role. Talk about that.
1: Steve was our chief operating officer. Yep. And Steve and I had worked together. Great guy. um, Years ago in in Austin, Texas, for about two and a half, three years. And so we knew each other really, really well. We were great friends. And Steve says, Andre, we really need need to ask you to do something that's that you've never done before in your career, and we we need you to do it with our people. And they had come up with this new role called human capital, and it had a lot of things in it. It had things like working with external affairs in D.C. with legislators. It it had uh, social responsibility that was linked to the Accenture Foundation, and then it had Human capital strategy, different than HR, which is how do you plan eccentric for the future? What type Mm -hmm. of skills we need? What kind of people we need? And then it had DNI, diversity Mm -hmm. and inclusion in it. And so it was, it was a collage of things. And he said, look, we need, we need to pull you out of the business and have you do this, this role. And I was like, I don't know, Steve, this doesn't sound all that great to me. Is, Is this, what did I do wrong? I would have thought
0: the same thing because who wants to get pulled off a PNL? Yeah, kiss of death.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I had been taught. And I I came and I talked to um, my wife and some of my close friends outside of Accenture, and they were like, "Oh, Andre, this is this is the kiss kiss of death. Don't go for it. Don't go for this ropey dope. Tell them turn it down, turn it down." And so I, I, I shared my concerns, and said, "Oh no, no! We're here is your return ticket back to the business. You're you're in and out in two years, tops." And uh, but we need your help, and that's kind of how it started. And uh, it was focused on the U.S. So I would be the human capital lead for the U.S. for those responsibilities, and I would report. To uh, Peter Nanturn, who became the CEO of Accenture, mm-hmm. and so um, that's kind of how how it all started. And boy, I had no idea how this job was tailored for me. You know, as a as an African American male, starting off in Chicago on the South Side of Chicago. Very, very, very humble beginnings, mm-hmm. and so to to go from A to J to M, I mean it it, it was a, it, it was tough. Mm-hmm. And as I shared earlier here, there were some key people like Dr. Wright, Dr. Cornell Bell, amongst others, who who were key to making uh, that progression for me work and and work in an optimized way. And so I was inspired by these men and women. And I was very thankful for what they had done for me. It was very clear. I remember after my first paycheck at AT AT&T, I I invited Dr. Cornel Bell and and Roscoe Young to dinner at the Ritz. Oh my gosh. Very nice. And I paid for it. And I was just very, very thankful. And so Here was an opportunity. I had built, I think you could say, somewhat of a platform at Accenture. And being in the global role, you're kind of known all over the place, especially when you travel as much as I did. But, you know, you build this platform so you you acquire a voice and people listen. And so now you have an opportunity to maybe use that voice for something more than your personal success. Now you have an opportunity to use that voice to create significance for someone else mm-hmm. or success for someone else. That's my definition of, of significance. So I, I leap, you know, just, just like I do every job and role, you know, I, I whole body in mm-hmm. and, um, Steve told me, he says, look, Andre, before you do anything, I want you to go around and talk to our people everywhere. Take three months. Go talk to them. Don't create any plans. Don't formulate any strategies. Go talk to our people. And, um, and what I did, oh boy, I was just blown away by what they said and mm-hmm. what they, How they felt. Long story short, they they touched my heart. Mm -hmm. And, and so I gave them my heart and I did everything I could with the voice I had to change the circumstances for all of our people in the U S and, and really our people around the globe.
0: And as part of that role, you got a chance to sit on the Accenture Foundation. So what does that foundation do?
1: Well, Accenture is big on building you know when you solve hard problems for customers, and that's what we do at accenture we 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 largely leverage technology to help customers do things that they can't easily do themselves mm-hmm. and we learn and teach them how to execute with excellence and so in order to do that you you have to build a a significant group of people inside of Accenture that have the capacity to do that work. And so the Accenture Foundation was, was focused on what we did well for customers, that maybe we could do that well for communities. Mm-hmm. And so we called it Skills to Succeed. Mm-hmm. And so we thought that we would engage communities around the globe and working through other nonprofits, help them build capacity in others. And that would create you know, job opportunities for individuals that would create economic growth and empowerment for the community at large. And so all of our projects that we funded were like that.
0: As part of that, you had an opportunity to go to Africa. I don't know if this is your first trip to Africa, but talk a little bit
1: about that. It was my first trip. It okay. was my first trip. And, you know, when I look back on it, it was another inflection point that would set the stage for Act 3. And so I went, we had our practice in the UK, our consulting practice in the UK, had identified a need with the African Medical Research Foundation. And this, um, primarily in Kenya, headquartered in Kenya, headquartered in I will be, that works throughout Kenya and even beyond the, the boundaries of Kenya to bring nurses to hospitals and to equip those nurses so that they can do uh, better care, better provide better health care to people that needed it. And we all know that that Africa doesn't have anywhere near the resources of doctors and equipment necessary to address the need for a continent of a billion people. Mm-hmm. Anyway. The African Medical Research Foundation wanted to train, now get this, they wanted to train 20,000 nurses and they had a plan to get it done in a hundred years. <laughs> I had never heard of a hundred years.
2: <laughs> a hundred year plan. Oh my Are you goodness. Me?
1: Yeah. And, and oh. these nurses had um, high school diplomas. That's it. And they wanted to take them to the next level of nursing and it was going to take a hundred years. Our UK practice heard about it, brought it to the Accenture Foundation. We approved this grant, where we would infuse money and technology and e-learning mm-hmm. to more effectively transfer knowledge and know-how to these nurses and, and speak- do it and do it in seven years, ninety-three years faster.
0: Yeah, well, that's a great metric. I was going to say a little bit
1: faster than hundred. All right. And so I was um, I was put in charge of that grant. And what what an incredible organization. I went to Kenya to speak at the graduation of the first 89 nurses, not 90, 89, mm-hmm. that graduated in that program, and I spoke at the graduation and um, I had I hadn't seen anything like first the continent. I mean the beauty with its challenges. And poverty, but in this particular instance, the families, the thousands of people that came, they couldn't all fit in the in the auditorium. The auditorium was big, mm-hmm. and so there was this this outside area where there were tents for them, and um, they were just elated. I had never experienced in my life, and still today, I've never experienced a group of people that are so beautiful that are so humbled, I remember asking these nurses as we went from hospital to clinic, what else can we do for you? And they would say, you've done enough. Wow. It it just blew my mind. When you look at the circumstances. Right. I've been there. Right. Oh, my goodness. They would go home, study by candlelight because there was no electricity. Mm -hmm. And you're asking them, what else can you do? And they say nothing. Nothing. Oh, my goodness. If you you did that in the U.S., you'd have a laundry list. Right. Of of more and more and more and more, and which just made you want to do more. And so, I, I that was my assignment. Who could have ever thunk that it would be part of the catalyst, you know, to to launch me into my third act?
0: Mm-hmm. Because they speak to you, other. You know, you get sort of. I, I mean, I'm sort of somewhat tying the as I listen to you the human capital role, you talk about they got your heart, you gave them your heart, and similar in Africa, and I know that's going to roll into what you end up doing in your third act. So just to get to that, you retire in 2011, you've got 7 million airline miles, you're exhausted, you're planning to garden, but that doesn't last (laughs) very long, (laughs) which when you told me that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's funny. Never known you to sit still for more than 30 seconds. Um, so you found Powered by Action, which so tied us together. How did that
1: come about? So, so um when, when I was at Accenture and so now I'm in, I'm in Africa and a place where I had never been before. And you said it, Liz, my, my heart was, my heart melted mm-hmm. and I had asked them to take me to I wanted to see the beauty, so they arranged for me to go into the Serengeti. I mean, they, I wanted to see the calamity, so they, they took me to these small slums, but I wanted to see Kibera.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: Kibera, oh, it's like, it's, it's massive. And it's, um. and it, we can't take you there. And after this, this, this graduation program, uh, and they saw me out with the people and not inside with all the, The people that sat on the program, they said, you know, this guy is really serious. And they take me into Kibera and no running water, no clean water, no sanitation, no electricity. This was, I don't want to put down what these incredible people lived in, Mm -hmm. but it's nothing that Reminded me of anything that would be civilized. Mm-hmm. And so it was just calamity on top of calamity. And um, no roads, no security. All of the housing were basically tent, made of 10, butted together for miles and miles square. One to three million people lived there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And my heart just... Melted, and it melted long enough for for God to speak to me that day, and I became inspired to do something more and I could hear this vision around now it's time for you to come work for me mm. and and this is what I want you to do and it was all about how do you bring together these were the, this was the instruction bring together the resources that already exist, but they operate in a very disparate way. So their full potential of solving the problems that individuals like these people need, they don't get solved. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was an inspired vision of uniting resources, uniting those resources, and then making those resources accessible.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so you're right. I, I had no intention of ever starting a nonprofit. It never even crossed my mind. <laughs> and um, and and every intention, after millions and millions of miles and incredible meetings and things that we did together at Accenture, I was ready at, at 50 to to just uh, do nothing. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go play golf. I didn't want until this this inspired vision. And ever since then, it has captured my uh, attention twenty four seven. So, tell us about powered by action. So, so it's it's real, you know. Like anything else, you know, it's it's a part of an evolution, mm-hmm. and. You know, it's it's like you start peeling the onion and you peel it back one layer and two layers. And so as we start to bring these resources together, you know, we thought we would collaborate. That's a word that came to mind, that we would collaborate with other nonprofits to do things that none of us could do alone together. Because that was what we heard in the vision. and And then that evolved to... Building tech because when we started doing that manually it was it was not scalable, like building a a school in Ghana it, it wasn't scalable, teaming with the University of Chicago and Chicago Heights at a Bloom High School to incentivize learning. you know these things helped hundreds of people, but they didn't help hundreds of thousands or millions of people and so the second evolution was you know how do we do this collaboration leveraging technology and innovation and so What we do now is we've built a pretty incredible software platform that helps people take or help nonprofits take their proven programming. So if you have a parental program that teaches parents how to parent, if you have a preventative diabetes program that teaches people that are at risk of diabetes how to prevent becoming diabetic. If you have a proven program, we help you take that proven program that's developed and delivered in person. We help you digitize it to deliver it digitally and virtually to scale it by extending their reach to scale social impact. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that's what we're doing now. We have, um, about 25 parent programs that are in schools here in Chicago where parents receive information about what they should be doing and best practices and tips about what they should do with their preschool child. Kind of, like, this would have been ideal for my parents mm-hmm. that 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 didn't go to college. You know, my dad worked at the steel mill, my mom worked at the postal service and that couldn't help me with my homework. Mm-hmm. So this is a way of leveling the playing field by transferring knowledge and know-how to people without it. And so um, we work with nonprofits to take their proven programs, make them digital, and help them put that knowledge and know-how in the hands of more and more people.
0: In a really very simple way, delivered on their cell phone, delivered on their home computer, any way that they can best
1: access it, correct? That's That's correct. I mean, there are some... There's some fundamentals, Liz, kind of like that seven minute thing mm-hmm. uh, years ago with AT and T. You know, people people that are that live on the south side of Chicago, where I'm from. You know, we prefer to, as kids, be outside and play. Mm-hmm. I, I have to tell you, I didn't develop a, a love for reading. I did not, and I was a slow reader. And um, you'll find that on the south side of Chicago. And you'll find that in many urban areas, and not not that everybody. And I was a top student, but just really,
0: you just weren't inspired by reading, which is funny because that you, know, you think top students are usually big readers, but you know I hear you.
1: Okay. It wasn't you know when I when I came home, my my dad and my mom. worked. Mm-hmm. my dad worked sixteen hour days, my mom worked you know eight hour days, but she took you know three buses and two trains to get to work. They didn't come home and read to us. Mm-hmm. They didn't have time. We di- we didn't develop that way. I saw them work hard, so I have a work ethic that is second to none. I would
0: agree with that.
1: But but but, but when it comes to to certain other things, you know, I just didn't pick up. That it wasn't a characteristic of of my environment. Let's just say. And so the opportunity here is, but television is. And watching YouTube videos is. Mm-hmm. And so what we've done is we've taken these proven programs and we've gone out and, and hired. Uh, now, you'd be you'd be surprised. We, we have a medical doctor on our staff now mm-hmm. uh, who works with other health charities, works for us full time as a medical doctor. But she's also an executive producer who has worked with Discovery Channel and others. So we produce these digital programs. So they are embedded with video where people that aren't great readers can watch and listen to and mimic what they watch and listen to, as opposed to trying to suggest to people like me that the only way you're going to get this knowledge and know-how is to read it. And so we've built this capability that infuses multimedia and storytelling, and then we culturalize it. And, you know, this is one of the things that uh, Dr. Sandy Pagan brought to our team recently. She says, you know, Andre, if we're going to teach people, you know, how to prevent diabetes and, and we want to teach women, in particular, black women, the whole program needs to be culturalized for black women. So in this program, all of the multimedia, all of the content is tailored for black women. And so, we want to find ways with our partners uh to take their know-how digitize it put it in a framework of storytelling and within a framework that is culturally appealing and resonates with that target audience whoever that target audience is mm-hmm. if that's somebody that you know that's hispanic then we tailor it that way mm-hmm. so transferring knowledge to connect people to the know-how is really at the epicenter of what we do. And it's empowering nonprofits that have done that well with in-person delivery, helping them now do it digitally and virtually. And who would have ever thought that, you know, 10 years ago that what we started, the vision that we received then would be applicable.
0: And so applicable now In the United States of America, because everybody's online. I mean, you can't, you can't get in-person instruction anywhere. And Mm -hmm. it is interesting because I I think about the not-for-profit that I'm most involved in here, which is uh, all around equity and STEM education. And we're looking at what's going to happen in the school year and, and same thing, culturally delivering math, science information online to immigrant populations, Hispanic, uh, rural workers in Eastern Washington, et cetera. And it's, you know, the, the digital vision is where it needs, it is perfect. And it is in business, but even probably more important to be able to get it to people who just can't access anything anyway.
1: And it's taken some time. You know, we just brought on a big customer with you know, Easter Seals. And oh, Easter Seals great. serves 1.4 million people. And we're going to be working with them. They want to digitize their programming, starting with the programming that teaches governments, transit authorities how to effectively work with people on buses and trains that are disabled. They have a huge training program um, that's very successful. That now will be delivered virtually, leveraging our platform. And all of the workforce training associated with uh, how do you prepare a disabled person, you know, for the work world? Mm-hmm. Kind of like where we started back at Accenture around skills to succeed. Mm-hmm. And so as we bring on these major institutions, we've had to strengthen our technology over and over and over again. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a blessing to have the resources to serve in this way. I would have never thought uh, that that this would be the third act, but I'm glad it is.
0: (laughs) So I thought about naming this podcast. I'm not done yet, so because that's how I feel about my life. So what aren't you done with yet?
1: I think that you know we're we're inspired to to help millions and millions of Mm -hmm. people with the platform, and you know we've we've got a team now. And we just had conversations last week with a large corporation in Nigeria. And so I think it will grow. I know it will grow. And, you know, we, we've got one customer in the American Bible Society. I mean, they passed out Bibles and now they have a healing trauma program. Wow. And they want to, to work with us to reach a 100 million people by 2026. So there is a lot to do when it comes to Making knowledge accessible.
0: I think that's very good. Um, so, thank you for joining us. Where can we find you, and where can we find Powered by Action online?
1: Powered by Action is spelled P-O-W-E-R-E-D by Action. dot org. Okay. And uh, my email address is Andre A-N-D-R-E at P is in Peter, B is in Boy, Y is in Yellow, A is in Apple. dot o r g. Yep, yeah, and we will put that in we the show notes. Love, oh, perfect. We'd, we'd love to to talk to some of your listeners, those that are aligned with the vision that we've, we've received and the mantle that we're running with. Great.
0: All right, Andre, thanks so much. Thanks, Liz. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining me today to listen to the Third Act Podcast. You can find show notes, guest bios, and more at thirdactpodcast.com. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and write a review on your favorite podcast platform. I'm your host, Liz Tinkham. I'll be back next week with another guest who's found new meaning and fulfillment in the third act of their life.